Hi, and welcome to the seventh episode of Reaching Extinction. This week, I had the privilege of talking with Adam Demansky, a senior economist from Econ Northwest. He has his undergraduate degree from the College of William and Mary in economics and continued his education at North Carolina State University, where he earned a master's degree and PhD in economics. He's spent seven years working with NOAA to understand dam assessments and now works for Econ Northwest specializing in environmental economics, natural resource damage assessment, and applied echometrics. talk about um, his work doing an environmental valuation on um, the Lower Snake River dams and what exactly an environmental valuation is. Um, so I have the first question here. So um, we're just going to discuss um, like what uh, what is an, envi- an economic valuation of environmental resources? Yeah, well, thanks for having me mm-hmm. and uh, thanks for putting this podcast together. Mm-hmm. So economists think about the environment uh, kind of in a very similar way to think they, the way they think about private goods. But the, mm-hmm. the real delineation is in the type of good it mm-hmm. is that you're trying to value. Uh, and really, the delineation between a private good, and a private good is anything you can go to the store and buy and sell, mm-hmm. versus a public good, which is something that uh, doesn't necessarily exist on a market, where you can't go out and buy the amount of clean water or air quality or national defense that you want. Those are mm-hmm. classic public goods. And they have this characteristic of being non-rival and non-excludable. Non-rival means if I'm consuming the good, it doesn't affect your ability to consume mm-hmm. the good. And non-excludable means that someone can prevent you from consuming a good. So private goods are rival and excludable. You can go mm-hmm. to a store buy an apple. Mm -hmm. If you don't pay for the apple, they can try and keep you from having that apple. And then if you're eating the apple, no one else can eat it. So it's rivaled, it's it's excludable. And because Mm -hmm. of those functions, Mm -hmm. they generally are provisioned efficiently on a market that uh, you have an opportunity to go buy it at this intersection of supply and demand Mm -hmm. and the price. Public goods, there's no um, mechanism for that. Mm -hmm. And so valuing The public good is a little um, tougher, but just because you can't buy it on a market doesn't mean that you don't get value for it and you wouldn't be willing to pay for it. And so if you think about uh, air quality regulations, when they Mm -hmm. talk about, well, how much uh, particulate matter or Mm -hmm. nitrous um, or sulfur should come out of smokestack, Mm -hmm. Really, they're looking at, well, what's the cost it's imposing on people? Mm -hmm. Uh, What's the benefit of reducing it, reducing emissions, and then how much is it going to cost? So there's this cost-benefit analysis, and there's this value for cleaner air that they're trying to capture. Um, And the benefits there might be uh, lower asthma rates, being Mm -hmm. able to see blue sky, all all kinds of Mm -hmm. things that matter. Uh, The same thing happens when we talk about ecosystems as well Mm -hmm. uh, and the protection of environmental goods. Mm -hmm. Uh, Certainly... Uh, to the extent that people like seeing and knowing that there are healthy populations of orca, that uh, landscapes are in a natural and adulterated state. Mm-hmm. Those are public goods that people value. And the tools that we apply there are called non-market valuation. And it's mm-hmm. really very similar to the same set of tools that uh, an economist working for a company would apply when they're thinking of 
uh, introducing a new good to the market. So mm-hmm. if you think about Apple thinking about releasing the next iPhone, they've got a choice in what features to put at the iPhone and at what price point. And so they go through a number of exercises of non-market valuation, figuring mm-hmm. out, well, what's the demand and what's the optimal price point for this good that people can't buy and sell? Mm-hmm. And so it's a combination of surveys. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a combination of looking at how people are currently buying existing goods on the market that have mm-hmm. those varying attributes. And you put it all together and you say, okay, if we introduce this to the market, this is the value we believe we'll be able to capture. Mm-hmm. And we can do the same thing for environmental goods as well, is measure a good that you can't buy in the market, right. but people still have value for. Absolutely. Um, do you find that challenging to do, like to put a number value on something that, like, I guess we wouldn't traditionally put a number value on or like other people wouldn't look at a tree and be like, oh, that tree's worth $100 or whatever it's worth. Yeah, and I think the the challenge is, is really data-driven, so mm-hmm. getting the right data can be difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on the back end is conveying to decision makers and to the public that the methods that you used are valid and appropriate. Mm-hmm. So um, let's take the, the tree, for example. So mm-hmm. the, the tree picture the, the beautiful tree across the street from you in a park mm-hmm. uh, and you say, well, what's the value of that to you? And you can think about, well, I like looking at it. Mm-hmm. I like that it's there. It provides clean air, shade, all, all kinds of services. But ultimately, the value, so the, the definition of, of an economic value is what you'd be willing to pay or what you'd be willing to give up to get something else. Okay. Um, and it can either be that willingness to pay to get something or willingness to accept okay. to lose something. And so let's say someone's going to walk over there with a chainsaw mm-hmm. and cut it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, if we want to really understand the value of that tree to you, we can go at it two ways. We mm-hmm. can say, uh, how much are you going to run out and cut him a check mm-hmm. to stop him from cutting it down? Mm-hmm. Or conversely... How much can he cut a check to you mm-hmm. so that you're okay with him cutting it down? Mm-hmm. And those those seem like just really weird things because they they might not happen in the world. But when we're trying to measure the value of that tree, the value of environmental resource, mm-hmm. that's what we're trying to figure out. Is somebody knocking on your door and saying, hey, I got to cut this tree down. I bet you're going to be upset. Mm-hmm. Tell me what number to write on this check for you not to be upset. Right. And when people think about environmental goods, um, they have trouble doing that, which makes a ton of sense. But to the mm-hmm. economist, you know, that understanding that price point is really important. And uh, you could picture a world where there's an obscene number on a check and mm-hmm. you'll be okay with it. Okay. Um, thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you think about, okay, if I had $100,000, I can spend that money on anything. I right. could spend it on um, my kids' education, mm-hmm. health care, vacation, planting other trees, there's a trade-off. And, mm-hmm. and figuring out that point where you're indifferent between this value and the tree mm-hmm. is is that value of the tree. It's right. what you're willing to give up to get mm-hmm. something else. You're willing to give up that tree mm-hmm. to get this money, which gives you other things. And that's, that's the basic nature of what we're trying to identify. Absolutely. So how do you conduct an environmental evaluation? Or an economic valuation of environmental. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's similar mm-hmm. similar thing. So the uh, the key thing is one identifying the good to mm-hmm. be valued. So we can let's talk about the the Snake River dams. Mm-hmm. Um, 
there are private values that mm-hmm. come from the dam. So mm-hmm. these are things that are available on the market. Mm-hmm. So there's the power generation. That's a private good mm-hmm. um, because it gets sold on the market and there's a, mm-hmm. you can run your uh, blow dryer for as much as you want mm-hmm. in the morning and, and you're paying for it. Um, there's transportation services, mm-hmm. there's irrigation, there's all these things that are private goods. But mm-hmm. then there's the public goods side, the mm-hmm. things that aren't bought and sold in the market mm-hmm. that people have value for. And so when we want to identify, well, what's the value of the private utilization mm-hmm. of the natural resource? We can look at the value of the power, mm-hmm. the uh, value of um, the, the irrigation, the value mm-hmm. of the transportation resources. Mm-hmm. But then when we want to envir- value the environmental goods, we mm-hmm. want to we want to understand what those are. Mm-hmm. Um, the other key thing to, to start out with is what is the change that you're measuring? So mm-hmm. um, there's some studies out there and some people talk about it. What's the value of the environment as a whole? Mm-hmm. And that's not really meaningful right. to an economist because what we want to know is what's the trade-off that mm-hmm. you're going to see? And so Let's look at what's the marginal change in environmental quality and identify the value for that. And so once you identify the good, which here it's a river system that has four dams in it Mm -hmm. or a river system that after removal of the dams Mm -hmm. eventually returns to a natural state, Mm -hmm. we want to identify those two states of the world Mm -hmm. uh, and then figure out what are the sources of value that come from it. They might be... uh, some type of a use value, so it might be a recreation. Okay. We can measure that by looking at how, um, you know, think about the iPhone. That's where uh, Apple might go and look and see, well, how are all of the other phones on the market currently selling? Mm-hmm. So this camera has two, or this phone has two cameras. This mm-hmm. phone has a bigger screen. We can look at all those attributes and see, well, well that one with that attribute is selling for a lot more. Mm-hmm. So we do the same thing with recreation. We okay. see where are people going? How are they choosing to give up their time to get to a recreation site that has certain attributes. Okay. Um, and then let's change the attributes of the site. Let's turn it from a lake to a river and see how do people substitute. And it's that marginal change in value, that change in demand that we're measuring. So that's that's the use value. Yeah. The non-use value is more complex because there's no kind of equivalent market. There's no uh, trade-off that people are making. And the non-use value really is... It, there are different terms for it. Sometimes called non-use, sometimes mm-hmm. passive use, existence value. It's the amount that you'd be willing to give up to protect a good independent of you using it. So you might, uh, when I taught environmental econ in grad school to undergraduates, the, the example that was present in the news that we mm-hmm. uh, that I always used was the Alaska National Wildlife Refuge. Okay. Um, I've never been there. Yes. Most people have never been there. Mm-hmm. You see pictures, you hear a little bit about what it is, and you understand that, okay, it's in a protected state, and alternatively, uh, it might be used for uh, oil drilling. There's going to be some infrastructure placed on it. Right. And so the question is, does do you care? And a lot of people uh, do care that mm-hmm. they would like to protect it, even if they're never going to go, mm-hmm. they've never been there. Uh, but they are willing to give up money, take money out of their own pocket to protect it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that what we're trying to, to measure. And so that's that non-use value. Okay. Uh, it's a real value. If people could go to a store and buy it, mm-hmm. they would. And, and that's what we're trying to measure. We're not trying to measure some um, 
you know, I care about it a lot. Right. It's really, what are you willing to give up to protect okay. it? And when you're giving up money out of your pocket, you're giving up money that you could spend on something else. So that's a very meaningful exchange yes. for an economist. So for the Snake River Dams, the, the way to do this type of analysis is to create a market. So okay. it's called a contingent uh, choice or contingent valuation survey where mm-hmm. you are presenting through a survey mechanism, you're mm-hmm. going up to people and you're saying, okay, here is the current state of the world, mm-hmm. here's a potential alternative state of the world without the dams, and mm-hmm. here's the mechanism getting there. The only way we'll get there is if you pay for it, gotcha. and then we vary the price and we trace out a demand curve. And so this type of a study has been done uh, for all types of things. It's mm-hmm. done for uh, litigation for natural resource damages, so mm-hmm. these types of studies were done for Axon Valdez for uh, a chemical case called Montrose in California for the mm-hmm. Deepwater Horizon oil spill. Okay. There's a total value survey done. Uh, and there's a, just a, a long literature of these types of studies. And again, it's the same type of survey that you would do to measure uh, what what should go in the new iPhone coming out. Okay. Um, the, a couple key things about designing that survey is the... Um, Scenario has to be realistic, that policy you're proposing has to work, people have to believe it's going to work, and then the, the payment question has to feel consequential. Okay. So people have to feel that, okay, if they vote this, they might actually have to pay it. So there are a couple ways to design the survey to make it very consequential. Um, one of the common ways is to propose it like a referendum style question. So mm-hmm. you might in the November ballot have a referendum there. Mm-hmm. Um, people see these things all the time where say, yes, I want to increase mm-hmm. my taxes to pay for schools, to pay for transportation. Mm-hmm. This is that style of referendum question. Do you vote for or against this policy mm-hmm. that is going to increase your taxes? The way we're structuring the survey is like public polling or surveys that occur before a referendum question mm-hmm. uh, that are very effective at predicting outcomes on referendum. So what we're trying to do is impose this program that someone's going to have to pay and have them think about their budget constraint and say, mm-hmm. yes, I would pay X dollars or no, I would not. Okay. Uh, and that's that's what... Uh, that's the the general approach. Okay, so you just basically go out and you do. Is it like a written survey or verbal survey or a little bit of both? It can vary. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they're done door to door in person. I think that's considered state of the art, and that was mm-hmm. done in uh, the Deepwater Horizon study where there's okay. lots of resources. Uh, that's obviously very expensive and difficult mm-hmm. to do. So uh, there are mail survey approaches and internet survey approaches okay. that use. Uh, appropriate statistics sampling techniques and and, mm-hmm. and measure the, the population appropriately. Okay. So how, if you're doing like the internet or the ones that are by mail, how do you avoid bias? Because it seems like maybe some people might seek out those sort of things if they have a special interest in it. Right. Yeah. No, that's a, a great point. So the the couple key things to do is make sure you're randomly sampling part population. Okay. You'll always have a response rate. So you'll have some portion that responds to the survey, some portion that does mm-hmm. not. Uh, you're going to want to do a non-response test. Okay. So you're going to want to try and some way or another see who didn't answer your survey. Sometimes okay. it's a follow-up, like six-question, really simple survey with mm-hmm. a financial incentive. Or you'll just compare your respondents to the population as a whole and see okay. who is, who's answering my survey. Um, and then uh, the design of the survey is very important. You don't want to tweak the language in any way that's going to get a result. You want it to be very neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're talking about uh, oil spills, you 
don't want to show animals that look like they're covered in oil because right. it's going to evoke an emotional reaction. So absolutely. the design of the survey matters a lot. Yes, absolutely. Um, so what role does do these evaluations play in policy and decision-making? They are very important in policy decision-making. They help policymakers understand how to trade off private versus public value. Mm -hmm. So there's an executive order, a series of executive orders that that date back to the the Reagan administration that require any federal decisions over a certain dollar amount Mm -hmm. to have a benefit-cost analysis that includes both private and public values. So all the Clean Air Act, all the Clean Water Act, Mm -hmm. all the the revisions and the rules have these regulatory impact analyses Mm -hmm. done for them. and it makes sense that if mm-hmm. we're going to be imposing, let's say, a cost on polluters, on industry, mm-hmm. we want to know that it's worth it. Right. Uh, and, and it's a very objective, non-emotional mm-hmm. way of looking at the world. And, and frankly, uh, it's what attracted me to environmental economics is that okay. this is a way to evaluate environmental decisions and make policy that... We did the math. This one makes sense. Yes. This one doesn't make sense. Gotcha. So there are places in the world where, uh, you know, let's, let's just, I think Clean Air Act is the, the Clean Air Regs is the, the good example is that there's certain um, particulate matter mm-hmm. uh, regulations and they mm-hmm. PM10, PM2.5. You can imagine saying some maybe PM0, some, mm-hmm. something super, super small and say, let's shoot for that. Mm-hmm. The reality is, Getting to that level at the smokestack would be extremely expensive. Right. Um, and the benefits to society mm-hmm. in terms of reduced asthma, morbidity, mm-hmm. mortality um, might not add up. Mm-hmm. And so there, so the, the key part of this type of economic analysis is that there is an optimal level mm-hmm. of pollution. And again, that's mm-hmm. I think that's a notion that some people struggle with. But um, it would cost so much to get to that point. The benefits benefits wouldn't be there. And here's the key thing: we could take that money and spend it on something else that might be more valuable. Mm-hmm. So that that notion of scarcity and optimum policy sign is uh, just carries through completely. Okay. Yeah. That's. It seems like it's a little bit. I'd like you're able to put like actions behind what you want to do like through this. Like you're actually able to effectively use tools and come up with realistic solutions as opposed to. I don't know. Sometimes when we look at scientific things, I feel like we have this grandiose idea of like what we can do, and adding the economic value seems to make it a little bit more realistic. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's what is appealing to me. But again, that there are policy proposals which might not be optimal. Yes. And the fact that those exist are actually, I think, very appealing to the validity of economics as, a, as an environmental tool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say if measured appropriately, then that would be the right um, right way to move forward. But I understand that, that some people may react to that notion as well. Right. So uh, let's talk about the findings that you had with the Lower Snake River dams. Sure. <laughs> um, so how did, like, you guys went through and you did the surveys on these ones. And then I know that you guys looked at, like, what it would look like with the dams, without the dams. 
Um, and it's my understanding that it's like pretty much about the same price to just take them down one time as it is to keep them running every single year. Like the annual cost is the same. Is that correct? Um, it's it's a complex story, and it's mm-hmm. it's a, it's a complex story, and that's why it's been under debate for so long. Mm-hmm. You know, since since before they were built, there are mm-hmm. concerns about their their impacts and whether they're worth it. Um, what we did is very similar to what I had described earlier. Is let's let's identify all the service flows, and mm-hmm. so we broke it up into four different categories. And mm-hmm. One is the grid services that they provide, so the power and load balancing, mm-hmm. uh, the the transportation services they provide. There's mm-hmm. locks in each of the dams that allow barge and vessel traffic up mm-hmm. and down the Snake River. Um, there are irrigation services, so there mm-hmm. are irrigators that withdraw water from the Snake River, mm-hmm. uh, and we wanted to see well, what did that, what would taking out the dams mean for right. them? Uh, and then, then there's the environmental goods, there's the recreation, the non-use values. So mm-hmm. we we broke them all into to separate categories, uh, and just marching through on the grid services, we look at well, what's the value of the power they create, mm-hmm. and how do they create power over the year? And so some fun Econ 101 comes out uh, in our analysis here, and it's in the early section where we're talking about grid services, Mm -hmm. you see uh, a graph that looks sinusoidal, and it looks a little inverse Mm -hmm. sinusoidal. And one is the power generated by the Snake River dams, Mm -hmm. and then the other is the day-ahead price that's been called the Intercontinental Exchange. And so that's how the generally the power from the region is sold to other purchasers, other regions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what you see is that when there's a lot of water flowing through the Snake River dams mm-hmm. and they're producing a lot of power, you know, that, that water flow is seasonal across the region. We have a lot of hydropower in the region. Mm-hmm. So region-wide, we have an excess mm-hmm. of power. When you have excess mm-hmm. supply and mm-hmm. demand stays the same, you have a drop in price. And so you have a low price okay. in the winter and spring when mm-hmm. flows are high. And then when you get to summer, when water is scarce, mm-hmm. flows are lower, we're generating less power, mm-hmm. that supply curve shifts in, and we have a high price. Mm-hmm. So we're looking at the uh, power gen- average power generation each time of year with the marketable value of that power through mm-hmm. the year. And so we came up with a number based on that. Okay. There's a second piece of these dams, which comes up quite a bit, and it is very important. It's the fact that they are uh, a renewable resource. They are not carbon emitting Mm -hmm. sources of power Mm -hmm. and there's two ways to value that Mm -hmm. one is okay let's take these dams out and replace them all with renewable resources so wind and solar there's a study that preceded ours by the northwest energy coalition Mm -hmm. that looked at how much that would cost Mm -hmm. and so in one scenario we said okay well the value is the power they produce Mm -hmm. um plus the cost it would take to replace that power with renewable resources. Yes. Okay. That's one scenario. The other scenario is the the reality that uh, these dams produce less power than the region exports. So the region Mm -hmm. as a whole, Bonneville Power, exports power to other regions, primarily to Southern California. And we as a region could get by without the dams. There's no actual need to mm-hmm. replace them. Okay. We still lose the value of that power mm-hmm. because Bonneville is, is selling them. Um, but we could say, let's leave it up to California to replace the power. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, let's not assume it's going to be carbon-free power. So right. we looked at what are the new power sources coming online, 
right now. Um, some of those are natural gas. They are carbon emitting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we can value those carbon emissions, and you can mm-hmm. value carbon emission reductions. And so there's a big inter- interagency effort uh, undertaken a number of years ago where the federal government looked at mm-hmm. what is the social cost of carbon? What's mm-hmm. the cost of emitting a ton of carbon? And there's a set of prices mm-hmm. um, that capture that social cost, and they increase over time based on when those emissions are occurring. And so that's the other scenario we did is we said, okay, let's assume all the power is replaced by this new marginal power coming online. That is, some of it is carbon emitting. Mm-hmm. And let's figure out the social cost of that. Right. So that's the, the two scenarios we have. It's uh-huh. the, the power they create plus one of two measures of the value of being a non-renewable resource. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you have to subtract from that the operating costs of the dams, the cost to upgrade them. They're, they're old. Mm-hmm. Some of the turbines have been replaced. Some haven't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we estimated the cost of that ongoing maintenance and added together. So in our analysis on that uh, source alone, it makes sense to keep the dams yes. just on power alone, that the value of the power they create, okay. even with the seasonal market and when you include the value of the non-use, the, uh, um, the the carbon free power right. you take out the cost that we assumed mm-hmm. it makes sense to keep them other people have done other analysis on the cost to upgrade them and and indicate there's kind of two ways that might go is mm-hmm. that the cost might actually be higher and also the value might be lower that okay. there's new power coming on mm-hmm. right now that is being sold on an open market below what BPA is currently selling okay. power so there's there's a notion that that might flip but at least in our analysis uh on that window, it makes sense. Okay. We do a similar process for all of these categories. We keep adding it up. Um, so for, uh, I'll start with irrigation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we went and looked at water rights, water withdrawal permits, and identified all of the withdrawals on the snake as well as all of the wells nearby that might be affected. All the water withdrawals are happening at the lower snake, so right above the ice harbor in the ice harbor area, so that's the lowest dam. And so to calculate the value of the dams for those users, we did a a pretty simple engineering cost analysis. Mm -hmm. So we worked with with engineers and just said, well, how much will it cost to make them whole if Mm -hmm. you take out the dams? What will it cost to um, upgrade the infrastructure, Mm -hmm. dig deeper wells, all, all the things that might occur if the water level drops? Uh, and then they'd still be able to withdraw all the water they're doing mm-hmm. now. And they came out to around $160 million, mm-hmm. which is a lot of money. But in the scheme of things, when right. we look at total things, it's a drop in the bucket. So that is the value of the irrigation. And in fact, it's easy to mitigate. Okay. The transportation gets a little more complicated. Mm-hmm. There are cost savings to shippers from shipping grain. And that's primarily what moves uh, mm-hmm. on the, the Snake River. Um, and if the Snake River dams weren't there, they wouldn't be able to use barges. They'd most likely have to put it on trucks. There is a rail line there. But yeah, I saw that. I've been down to the Lower Granite, and like it, there was a railroad like right next to right. parallel to it. So I don't know if that's consistent throughout all of the dams, or if that's something that we could implement. But yeah, so there is a rail line there. Uh, rail makes sense in certain conditions. Mm-hmm. Short lines are a little bit tougher. Um, but the you know the reality is some of it's going to go on rail and we do a choice model in mm-hmm. the transportation model 
in our analysis that looks at what's the share that's going to go on mm-hmm. rail, what's the share that's going to go on the highway. Either way, it'll likely be at a higher cost to the shippers. Okay. So there is a loss there. Uh-huh. Um, but there's also a loss from taking all that grain and putting it on trucks and running those trucks on the roads. So there's going to be additional wear and tear. Mm-hmm. There's additional carbon emissions. There's additional yes. local pollution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you put trucks on the highway, there's a crash cost. And so there's okay. there's a probability of increased accidents. And, and and that doesn't occur with the barge system? Or like the irrigation? You've, yeah. Or no. not irrigation, but the barges. With the barges, yeah, yeah. You don't have those trucks on the highway. So that's... But they don't have any accidents or anything ever? Or... Um, that's a good question. I don't okay. know. Um, <laughs> we didn't look into that. Okay. But the analysis we did is, is very similar to what the Department of Transportation does okay. when they're looking at um, highway infrastructure is they look at what's mm-hmm. the total set of costs. And, and we do these highway cost allocation studies for different states. Mm-hmm. We do them for uh, Oregon, Missouri, that, that look at, okay, who is bearing the costs of uh, the highway system? Right. And so there's you notice there's private and public costs. There's private mm-hmm. costs to the shippers, there's public costs in terms of all these other things. Right. We apply those same tools. We use a social cost of carbon, mm-hmm. um, local cost of those uh, emissions for health impacts, uh, crash incidents cost, mm-hmm. and we add that up. And so there is a cost from taking out the dams, but then we went and looked at the Army Corps Civil Works budget and how okay. much money that they get appropriated from mm-hmm. Congress to maintain the dams for the purposes of transportation. And even all of those costs don't add up to how much federal money is being spent on the dams. Okay. So that's where our result comes that, you know what, even if you don't take out the dams, Mm -hmm. it probably doesn't make sense to operate them as transportation infrastructure. Right. Um, That you could just cut people checks. Mm -hmm. The federal government would save money. Yeah. Um, And we would account for all those costs. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's another kind of big result is, you know, when, when you hear people talk about the importance of the dams, they talk about the importance of irrigation and transportation. And right. and really, irrigation, you can mitigate, mm-hmm. uh, and it's relatively not mm-hmm. as large. Uh, and then transportation as well, um, you can mitigate it. It really doesn't look like it makes sense anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then that brings us to the last piece, the recreation and the non-use values. So recreation... Mm-hmm. Uh, looked at previous studies that had looked at recreation patterns in the area. We did our own uh, analysis with this survey called the National Survey and Recreation Environment to look at how people substitute between sites in the area mm-hmm. uh, and how they travel to uh, lake sites and river sites. Yeah. And we use that to predict the change in use mm-hmm. as well as the change in value from moving to a river system. And there is an increase in value to recreators mm-hmm. to moving to a natural river system. If you look at the landscape in, in our region, yeah. it's mostly big reservoirs. Mm-hmm. Uh, long, free-flowing rivers like this are the scarce resource, and so mm-hmm. that's really where that increase in value comes from. Um, there are people that go out and boat on the rivers, on the right. reservoirs now. They would not be able to boat in the river system, uh, okay. not necessarily. And so those people would be at a loss. So, mm-hmm. so another thing to kind of keep in mind as we're marching through all these categories, right. there are winners and losers. Yes. What we're analyzing is the relative magnitude. And then the question at the end is, are the gains big enough that you can compensate the losers? So keeping in mind that, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's the transportation, the shippers right. would have to pay more, the irrigators may have to pay more to upgrade their infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the, the recreational boaters may have to substitute to other sites and would be worse off. But there are gains that exceed that. Right. 
for the non-use values, we didn't uh, have the resources to do a survey on our own, but okay. we looked at the literature to see where have people done studies like this, mm-hmm. and how can we use that information to infer what we would get if we did our own study. Right. Um, and we found three key surveys. Okay. One is a survey funded by Bureau of Reclamation. Mm-hmm. Um, looking at removal of the Klamath dams in California. So they conducted a non-use valuation survey Mm -hmm. to look at what are the non-use ecological values of removing the dams. Mm -hmm. Key thing, Bureau of Reclamation, federal entity, Mm -hmm. also one of the three federal entities involved in the ongoing EIS. Mm -hmm. So we'll put a pin in that and come back to that. Um, Second set of studies were done by two economists at NOAA Mm -hmm. that looked at the value for... Uh, restoring salmon populations in Mm -hmm. Puget Sound. Um, Both of those studies didn't, they they didn't blow things out of proportion. They didn't paint two pictures of the world that aren't realistic. Mm -hmm. Um, For the Klamath survey, Mm -hmm. the scenario involved a reduction in extinction risk for an endangered population of fish. Mm -hmm. So it's not we're going to have a zillion fish. You're going to be able to walk across the backs of them. We're going to be eating fish so cheap and happy. Mm -hmm. That's not what the science says is going to happen, and then Mm -hmm. that's not what the survey is valuing. Mm -hmm. Uh, For the NOAA surveys Mm -hmm. done, um, they looked at recovery of salmon populations over a 50-year time frame. So, again, it's something that science could support if actions were taken. Mm -hmm. And so there we've got two sources of non-use values. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're not specific to the lower snake river dams. Mm -hmm. So we found another survey done. Um, it was done by an advocacy group, but it was mm-hmm. done by uh, a, a well-respected consulting firm that looked. Uh, they asked a lot of questions, but there mm-hmm. was a question in there that looked exactly like or very similar to the type of question I'd like to ask mm-hmm. in a community evaluation survey. And it's how much would you be willing to pay uh, in power bills mm-hmm. to remove the dams and restore salmon populations. Right. That's the essence of what it is. And, and so what's useful there is it's the relevant policy scenario, taking out the dams. It's mm-hmm. very situation-specific. It also has a very realistic payment vehicle, okay. increased power costs, which mm-hmm. is part of the story. Right. Uh, there's value from that power. We may have to pay higher power mm-hmm. costs, Um are we willing to do it? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the survey varied the price offered to people, and it was mm-hmm. a yes or no question, or it was uh, mm-hmm. very willing or unwilling and so forth. Mm-hmm. And so deconstructed that information and put it in the same valuation framework that uh, we would use in a contention valuation survey and came up with a household do- dollar value there. Mm-hmm. Um, couple key things is that although it's very situation-specific, mm-hmm. it's not... Uh, an explicit contingent valuation survey. So there's some caveats to that. Mm -hmm. But when we take that dollar value and compare it to the dollar value from the Klamath survey and Mm -hmm. from the NOAA surveys, we're right in the same ballpark. So we use that dollar value as the basis for non-use values. We Mm -hmm. could have used either of the two federal studies as well. Uh, We would get the same result. And in the end, we get these values. Some of them are costs, such as the, the power. Mm-hmm. Some of them are costs, such as the mitigation of the irrigation. Okay. Some of them are a gain, like yes. the transportation. Uh, there's a bigger gain from recreation. And then there's this really big gain in non-use values. Okay. And so when we compare it all, there's a, you know, make sure I have this number right, but approximately a $9 billion, eight, $8.5 billion 
benefit mm-hmm. over 20 years from removing the dams. Okay. The key thing is to justify removing the dams, you don't need that much. You only need $2.32 billion in non-use values. So it's like quadruple the Yeah, there's mm-hmm. there's massive gains. And mm-hmm. the real question is, are there ways to capture those gains mm-hmm. to mitigate um, mitigate the losses? The losses for yes. Those. And the fact is okay. that break-even value is that mechanism where all the losses have been mitigated. And then there's still this eight point six billion sitting on the table in value. Yeah. Um, People that might be concerned that we didn't do a contingent valuation survey, that Mm -hmm. we didn't do explicitly, I'd say, well, I think I've got strong support that these values are what we would have gotten. Mm -hmm. But even if you say, okay, our number is Mm -hmm. too large, it's Mm -hmm. 50% too large, it's twice as large, it's three times too large, you still get to the same policy recommendation, which is uh, there are net gains to society from removing the dams. Yes. Again, um, it's not... Uniform, you've got people right. that are winning and losing. And so, what we don't talk about is what's the mechanism for getting to a world where no one is worse off. So, that's yes. what we call Pareto optimal outcome. Okay. Uh, we don't talk about what that looks like, mm-hmm. but what we do show is the values there that mm-hmm. that is an achievable outcome and okay. there are net gains to society. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's definitely just like a matter of kind of it seems like there's a cultural kind of holdback down there that they don't really want to change their way of life, which is totally understandable because everyone, you know, they get in their patterns of doing things. Um, but you know, from every perspective that I've looked at economic, environmental, like everything, like the only reason, the only holdback it seems like is there's some kind of political hold and then there's like some kind of aversion to changing socially. So why do you think the dams haven't come down yet? Why haven't they come down yet? I I think there's, in my mind, two key mm-hmm. reasons. One is, you know, some people call it the, the cascade divide. I, I don't want to invoke that here, but mm-hmm. I would say our, our analysis shows mm-hmm. that there are people that would be worse off. Mm-hmm. Um, and specifically, it's a, it's a relatively smaller population that would be worse off, but mm-hmm. they would be potentially very worse off at an individual level. Okay. Whereas the gains from a larger population would right. be smaller. So each of us would gain the the couple dollars a month we're willing to pay. Right. Um, and we'd be we'd be great. Mm-hmm. But someone might lose their whole livelihood. Yes, and we so need to we can't let that happen. You can't let yeah. that happen. And then when you think about motivations for political involvement, mm-hmm. if you have a lot at stake, you're gonna come out strong on an issue. Mm-hmm. But if you've got a lot of people a little right. at stake, it's harder to organize. So that's mm-hmm. one issue, that common action problem. Mm-hmm. The other is, you know, the EIS that's ongoing right now mm-hmm. uh, is the s- second one that's been done. There's mm-hmm. one done in 2002, released in 2002. Uh, the dams are owned by the Army Corps of Engineers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're the federal agency that is leading the EIS. Bonneville Power and Bureau of Reclamation are mm-hmm. also the federal agencies participating in this. The Army Corps of Engineers has a very specific framework on how they do this type of benefit cost analysis, mm-hmm. and it very explicitly does not include the calculation of non-use values. Okay. So in 2002, that EIS did not consider non-use values explicitly. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one that's going on right now also will not consider non-use values explicitly. They're not doing a study okay. to measure and value them, and they won't uh, compare them the way that we did. Right. And when you look at our study, and let's just let's pull that section out, mm-hmm. let's 
cross off that big gain on the right-hand side. Mm -hmm. From an economic perspective, if you ignore those non-use values, it makes sense to keep the dams. Yeah. And so that is the other uh, fault. I would say that um, not considering non-use values Mm -hmm. is uh, you're missing a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would also add that the Army Corps is is kind of one of the only agencies, federal agencies, that does not explicitly use non-use values in decision-making. As I mentioned, the Bureau of Reclamation funded a study. Yeah. NOAA has funded studies, did hmm. funded two studies uh, looking at L-Law dam removal that included non-use values. Um, non-use values are supported in litigation for natural mm-hmm. resource damages. They're in the Oil Pollution Act regs. They're in the CERCLA regs. Um, they're used by EPA to evaluate Clean Air Act and, right. and all kinds of regulations. Mm-hmm. So it's used um, throughout government. Um, but the Army Corps of Engineers, their their kind of policy and guidance in on this is that because they're difficult to measure, we can't rely on them. Hmm. Which uh, which is tough. And uh, I would say, you know, I've made yeah. my career out of measuring these types of values. There's right. lots of economists that have. Yeah, we can do it. Uh, yes. The consultants that are doing the analysis for the Corps, they can do it. They're skilled. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not part of their framework. It won't be calculated. Mm-hmm. And if you don't include them yeah. in the balance sheet, you you won't necessarily get to the result that we did. Right. And it, like, you got to look at everything. You can't just like pick and choose kind of what you want to look at. That's really interesting. I didn't realize that they didn't do that. Because, yeah, there's. I noticed there were a couple valuations that had very different outcomes, and then the, but like a group of them that had a lot of very similar outcomes. So it's interesting to look at. So where do we go from here then? You know, with this information that you have and everything that's going on, we have species that are dying and whatnot. Obviously, there's, you know, people are going to lose their livelihoods and whatnot. How do we, like, what would you say the next steps are? Yeah, so I'd say when this report was released back in July, it it made a lot of press and made a lot of news, certainly on the east side and mostly mm-hmm. among folks that um, challenged our outcomes and our approach. Mm -hmm. Um, For me, it was flattering. There's a lot of work Mm -hmm. that I do that doesn't get read, that doesn't Mm -hmm. get attention. Um, I I interpreted that as, you know, this is valid. We're touching a hot topic and and we did a good job here. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so it's information that uh, helped the conversation, hopefully. Mm -hmm. Um, Hopefully our approach Mm -hmm. is digested. It's a thick report. It's written by economists. It's mm-hmm. not the most lively read, uh, but we just wanted to lay out everything we could. So this is one part of information that's out there mm-hmm. uh, in the world for consideration. Mm-hmm. There is a process right now. I've mentioned it a couple times about the ongoing EIS, the results of so environmental impact statement, right. looking at potential removal of the dams. The results of that will come out, uh, I believe, in February. There's mm-hmm. going to be a public comment period. Um, opportunities to respond, and, and I know a lot of groups are are uh, kind of watching that process. Right. Um, and uh, and and I think it'll be a combination of that mm-hmm. EIS, um, potential legislative or congressional political action mm-hmm. that'll make this move. But for our analysis, it's it's really recognizing one, the gains are there, mm-hmm. but two, they're not uniform. Right, and so paying attention to that policy outcome that makes sense, mm-hmm. which is removal of the dams, right. 
uh, is as important as identifying who's going to be worse off and right. how can we how compensate can we them. Help them. Yes. Right. Yeah. Because you definitely don't want to leave anybody kind of like you don't want to leave people hanging and like screwed or anything like that so it's yeah we definitely have to figure that out so do you just like recommend cutting checks to these people or maybe implementing new infrastructure so that they do have a livelihood like what would that look like to you or have you maybe not like explored that as much yeah it's a great question i have not thought about it a whole lot Mm -hmm. i think the easiest cleanest thing that that we have in the report Mm -hmm. is the irrigation infrastructure um part of the klamath dam removal Mm -hmm. is uh, an agreement to mitigate for impacts to irrigators. Mm-hmm. So there's precedent for that. I think that is solvable. Right. Um, transportation's a little tougher because there are public uh, costs mm-hmm. associated with this change, mm-hmm. um, but there could be ways to mitigate that. That would probably take some more thinking. Um, and then at the industry level, there are going to be businesses that currently work for BPA, that work for power transmission, mm-hmm. that might be uh, worse off. And it might be some combination of identifying new infrastructure in the region okay. that those uh, that those industries can go support. So uh, maybe identifying some renewable power that would be built as part of this agreement. Right. The, the key thing is that there's money on the table here mm-hmm. that we're leaving on the table if we leave the dams in place. Right. Um, and, and let's figure out a way how to capture that. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you answered all of my questions. Is there anything else you want to add or... No, this has been great. Thanks so much for your attention and thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for sharing. I think this will be good because, you know, like you said, that's kind of dense and not a lot of people want to read about economics, so this way they can still learn um, and gain your perspective. So thank you. Thank you.